Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. And if you have a Bible, why don't you get to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. If you don't, no worries, it'll be up on the screen behind me. But after you get to Isaiah chapter 9, put your finger there and then go over to Ephesians chapter 2. And if you're a guest with us, first off, thanks for being here. You uh, are catching us in the second week of our Christmas series, which is called A Christmas Carol. And what we've done is we have uh, attempted to take the celebration of Advent and the story of A Christmas Carol written by Charles Dickens and kind of smash them together, which is kind of like taking an apple and an orange and pushing them together and hoping for a banana. But uh, that's what we're doing. And so hopefully that will make sense to you at the end, even if it doesn't now. But I want to get us started here, just to kind of get us all on the same page. Last week, we began with this idea that whenever you look at the Old Testament, God commands His people to, uh, to celebrate, to celebrate three times a year around three separate feasts, and He teaches them that the way that we celebrate and what we celebrate makes us distinct as a people. Uh, what we celebrate and how we celebrate makes us distinct as a people. And so as I began to kind of study that and think through that, looking at the Christmas season, I uh, wanted and began to pray that God would teach us as a church to celebrate well. Not only what we celebrate, but how we celebrate. And that's led us to this series that we're coming to. Now, if you're not familiar with Advent, Advent is this idea of waiting. It's the belief that God's people trust that About 2,000 years ago, Jesus came as a baby, that he grew into a man. He lived a sinless and perfect life. He was crucified on a cross. He rose again three days later, and he changed the course of history for all people in all time. Amen? Amen? Amen, yes. We also believe that he's coming back again, and that when he comes next time, there's not going to be a crucifixion. There's only going to be a coronation, right? That he's going to come back, and that he's going to make all things new, that he's going to set all things right, that he's going to wipe away every tear, that all of the nonsense that we see in Ferguson or New York City or Wall Street or wherever, God puts a stop to that. And we say, uh, come quickly, Lord Jesus, that kingdom come, that will be done, right? And so Advent is the time, not when we celebrate St. Nick and, and coming down chimneys, and uh, although those things are fine, we celebrate one day the king's coming. And uh, and Advent is the time where God's people uh, take four weeks, and we take four different ideas, and we think through them, and we pray through them, we try to integrate them into our lives. Last week, we talked about uh, our past, and we talked about the fact that many of us struggle to celebrate because of what's happened in our past, and we looked at old Scrooge and this ghost of Christmas past, and how we see that the reason Scrooge doesn't celebrate well is that Scrooge has some wounds and some baggage and some difficulties that he's never dealt with and that it affects. And we looked at Advent and we looked at how that first week of Advent, we celebrate the hope that we have in Jesus. And so we said, man, God, what might it be for you to renew hope in our lives? What might it be for us to think about our past and the possibility of Jesus intersecting our past and bringing hope where there was despair and bringing healing where there was hurt? This week, we're going to look at the second week of Advent and that that, that core idea is this idea of, of peace. And so I want you to stand with me. We're going to read Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. And I want you to see where we're pulling this from. Isaiah 9 and verse 6. We'll read these, these texts and then I'll pray and then we'll get to it. 
Isaiah the prophet says that for, for to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and then Prince, Prince of Peace. The name that God gives to Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Now I want you to head over to Ephesians chapter 2, or just watch the screen while it heads over. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14. I'm going to start reading in verse 13. Just listen. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Pray with me. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for what we believe that you want to do in this time with us, your people. God, I pray that you'll prepare our hearts to hear from you. I pray that you'll prepare our hearts to rejoice and to celebrate in what you say, and that you'll give us the ability to obey you. God, we pray all these things for your glory and for our joy. And in the name of Jesus, amen. amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So we start with this, this principle, this idea of, of peace in Advent, this name that God the Father gives to Jesus, that he is he's the one that's in charge of peace, right? He is the... Uh, He's peace, big P. He, 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 he is the one who brings it. He is the one who does it. And if you, in, in case you didn't, you didn't get it, you go over to Ephesians chapter 2, and it's not that Jesus and peace are connected. It says that he is our peace, that the way that we receive peace as followers of Jesus is that, that, that we come to Jesus and that he heals and renews and saves us and makes peace between us and God. If, you, if you're looking for peace in your life, you need to look no farther than the personal work of Jesus. If you're looking for significance, if you're looking for, for fulfillment, it's not an idea, it's not a theology, it's not a philosophy, it's a person. And so at Christmas, we have the opportunity to celebrate the idea of peace through the person, the Prince of Peace, his name is Jesus. Now, this connection that we've tried to make between uh, the Christmas carol and between Advent works something like this. Uh, I told you that growing up, my mom used to uh, always make us watch Scrooge. That's what I thought the, the book was called for the longest time. We're going to watch Scrooge. And not just any Scrooge. We had to watch Scrooge with Albert Finney. And so I've probably seen Scrooge with Albert Finney uh, 75 times. I could recite it to you. If I watched the movie with you, you would be profoundly annoyed with me at the end because I'd be, you know, finishing sentences and, oh, this part's crazy. You know, that I, I would be that guy. Uh, and so... Uh, Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge, is a guy who's known for one phrase. What is it? Bah humbug, right. This is a dude who does not celebrate well. He's not celebrating Christmas well. He is a financial partner with a guy by the name of Jacob Marley. Marley passes away, and Scrooge goes about his uh, terrible celebration of Christmas. And so Marley visits him and tells him that he's going to be visited by three ghosts. What are those three ghosts? Ghosts of Christmas Past, present, and future. Yeah, and so the book, uh, and it was a book before a movie, all right, just for those of you who, uh, yeah, I know. What? <laughs> See, a book is this thing that you, never mind, all right? Yeah, <laughs> and last week we talked about that ghost of Christmas past. This week we are going to talk about this ghost of Christmas present. And this guy, uh, this large guy with a big beard, not a hipster, okay, like an actual beard comes and he visits Scrooge and he introduces Scrooge to his present celebration of Christmas. And his 
present pursuit of his values and, and of purpose and all this. And it's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty ugly picture, right? So let me tell you how, how I connect these two. Um, for me, whenever I think about the idea of celebration, in order for me to celebrate well, I need to be experiencing, I need to be experiencing peace. And I'll give you an example of this. Yesterday was my wife's birthday, okay? We're not going to sing a happy birthday to her because I have to go home with her, okay? So... Um, Yesterday was my wife's birthday, and we have a tradition in the Dunn house that whoever's birthday it is, uh, they get the breakfast that they want, and they get a cupcake or some kind of delectable along with their breakfast. And so I, I got up, got the kids watching a movie because I'm a good parent, and, um, and I went, <laughs> and I went uh, to Metro Market, and I got four truffles for her, and I'm excited, and you know, I got the, the present set out just right, and all of the cards, the handmade cards, and the one, everything's good, I start making breakfast, and then the kids started to be, I think the technical term is rowdy, yeah, and so, <laughs> and so I started to get a little bit frustrated, and, uh, and then I was messing with the baby, and the eggs got a little funky, and then to be honest with you, I was already kind of angsty and a little bit stressed out about some other stuff and already aggravated, and so it started to kind of compound. And so through the day, as I was trying to celebrate my wife, which I should because she's a gift to me, right, uh, I'm, I'm having a hard time just, just being, and she, she kept saying to me, honey, are you in a bad mood? And I would say, of course not, I'm a pastor. Um, <laughs> I praise God that you know I'm joking right there. That's wonderful. Yeah, I, I, I say, man, I'm trying, I'm trying to not be, but I was stressed out and I was aggravated and I was annoyed and I was having a hard time celebrating because I was having a hard time experiencing peace, right? Now, when I think about peace, the thing that is integral to me experiencing peace is that I have to be fully present. So for me, the, the, the paradigm is true and good and holistic celebration has at its core peace, and peace at its core has presence. And I, I don't mean presence like gifts. I mean like being present with a C, uh, presence. And so I started to just think about this idea of celebrating well and, it, and receiving the peace that we have in Jesus. And it got pretty quickly connected to, to time and to intentionality and to presence with a C. And so I want to talk today just real practically about how we celebrate and how we use our time over this Christmas season. Now, let me just save you right up front. This is not going to be a guilt trip, okay? Uh, This is not going to be, you know, you need to go home and get a calendar app. It's not going to be any of those things. It is going to be uh, how do we celebrate and what do we celebrate and is that celebration life-giving, holistic, and distinct? Fair enough? So three things that we're going to talk about today if you're taking notes, and hopefully this will be helpful and encouraging to you. The first is this. Uh, This present moment, meaning the one that you're in, it matters, so don't wish for another one. Don't wish for another one. Most people are very familiar with the idea that we get how many lives? Nine if you're a cat, all right, or one if you're a human. And we work off this premise. We say things, man, I just get one life, I'm just going to do it. You know, that's not true, right? You actually get one day. Because the past has already happened, and there is no rebate. You don't, you know, you know, you don't get to go back and, and redo it. Whatever it was, however well you handled it, whatever celebration or regret you have in it, it is gone. And the future 
isn't yours. Listen to how James chapter 4 says it. Come now, you who say. If I were going to say that, I would say, come on, man. All right? Come on, man. Those of you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, and then it vanishes. We like to think about our life as being this, but it's actually this. The only thing, the only thing that you and I have for certain is the moment that we're in. The moment that we're in. And how many of us, think about this, spend the moment that we are in wishing that we were in another moment doing other things with other people? I want you to think about this through a couple different lenses. One is I want you to think about it through the lens of winning the lottery. You're like, I can do that. I got to have some bills coming up. Why is it that within five years, most people who win the lottery are broke? Why is that? It's because people who win the lottery are people who have been dreaming of the day when they would and never spent time learning how to organize their finances right here. Yeah, they are wishing for another thing at the expense of the moment that they're in. I want you to think about parenting. I have three kids, seven, five, and 20 months, and sometimes they're rowdy, but I love them. When you bring a baby home from the hospital, it's full of hope and of optimism, and then you put them to bed, and at two o'clock, you hear this noise. What? What is that? Is someone, someone crying? And then at three, and then at five, and then at six and seven, and then 7.15, and then you have to get up, right? And here's what you do. You go, man, I love being a parent, and I can't wait until they start sleeping through the night. Oh, you're familiar. Yeah, you're familiar. Yeah. And then they start to sleep through the night, but when they wake up, you're like, what, what is that smell? What is that horrific smell that I smell? And uh, they put their arms out to you, and you're like, what, what, what is that liquid in that? And so you start to say things like, man, I can't wait until they're potty trained. Oh, you're, you're familiar. You're familiar. Yeah. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, you get them up, and you change them, and you're tired because you've been up, and then you put them down in front of a plate of food, and when you come back, there's food everywhere, none of it around their mouth, Right? And you say, man, I can't wait until they can feed themselves. And then you send them up to get dressed, and they come down, and they look like they are homeless, right? <laughs> and you say, why, why did you wear that? I don't know. And the shirt goes on the top, honey, not the bottom. And you say, I can't wait until they can dress themselves. And then they get to the point where they can uh, go to the bathroom by themselves, dress themselves, feed themselves, sleep through the night, and you say, man, I can't wait until they go to school so I can get a break because I haven't slept in five years, right? And then they go to school, and, and, and then you say, man, it's going to be cool and when she starts doing uh, ballet and he starts playing ball, and then they are doing that. And then you say, man, it's going to be amazing when they graduate and they go off to school. And then you wake up one day, and all the things you wish for meant that you missed all the things you were in. If you're like me, I spend a lot of my life wishing to be in another time, 
doing another thing, even with I'm with, even if I'm with the people that I want to be with. And what that does is it causes me to struggle to celebrate, fails to give me peace because I'm not present. Because I'm not present. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, gives us a really important principle about our time. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, hang with me here. I want you to listen to this. A guy by the name of Solomon, who the Bible says is the wisest man who has ever lived, says this. For everything, there is a season. And there is a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. And if you're a hugger, it's normally not to embrace. That's normally a time, all right? So don't come up and try to hug me. Uh, Number six... Uh, A time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Here's what I see about my life. Whenever I'm weeping, I want to be doing what? I want to be laughing, right? And whenever I feel like something's being killed, I'm wanting it to be healed. And whenever there's a time of war, I'm just wanting it to be a time of peace I see in this that I misunderstand the truth. Listen, God has a plan and a purpose for every moment that I'm in. God has a plan and a purpose for every moment that I'm in. And so not only am I not celebrating well, not only am I not experiencing peace because I'm not present, but because I'm not present, I'm missing what God's wanting to say to me in the only thing that I have right now. Right now, if we're going to learn to celebrate well, if we're going to learn as Advent teaches us to receive the peace that we have in Jesus and be present, we have to understand this truth, that every moment matters regardless of what's happening in it. Every moment matters regardless of what's happening in it. Every moment is significant. It's the only one that you have, so don't wish for another or you'll lose it. Don't wish for another or you'll lose it. Now let's put this in the context of Christmas, because that's what we're talking about. How many of you guys are like me that I said last, last week that it has been a struggle for me to celebrate Christmas because of some of the things that happened in my family? What moment was I in? Yeah, the past. You see, we don't only struggle with looking into the future, but we also struggle with looking into the past. And for some of us, we have a difficult time celebrating because we're always gauging what's happening against what should or shouldn't have happened or what we hope will or won't happen. It goes both ways. And God says, the past is gone. The past is done. The future is not yours. I am in the present. I'm at work in the present. There's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Don't wish to be in another. Number two. The present moment matters. First, don't wish for another. The second, don't waste it away. Don't waste it away. Now, most people that I know have two things and do one thing. Number one, they have a smartphone. Number two, they have a social media account. And then they do, they multitask, which you put all of those things together, and what that means is that most of us are professional time wasters. 
right? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. What, what did you say? Hashtag distracted. Yeah. Most of us are professional time wasters, and it's not really that we are doing anything that's necessarily bad or improper. It's just that we're not present in the moment. So I want you to think about a couple things with me. Nothing, listen, nothing can be well stewarded. Nothing can be well stewarded without stewarding your time well. Nothing can be well stewarded without stewarding your time well. Let me give you some examples. Ladies, if I were to say to you, your husband is not going to spend any time with you because he wants to have a healthy marriage, what would you say? Wrong answer, answer, right? Implicit in the idea of a healthy marital relationship is an investment of time. Yeah, it's an investment of time. Think about parenting. What, son? I sent you a text every morning, every day of your life. No, my kids want time. In fact, here's what my son will say to me. Dad, I think it's time for a daddy date. I think it's time for a daddy date. What, what is he saying to me? He's saying, Dad, I'm feeling a little disconnected, and you giving me a gift or turning on a movie isn't going to fix that. You need to steward your time well so that anything else in your life can be well stewarded. In fact, we even, we even know this to be true in our hobbies. Let's, let's be as you know, insignificant as possible. If you want to be good at golf, what do you have to do? You got to go play golf. You don't get good at golf by watching TV. You have to invest time into it. Anything that is well stewarded has first been stewarded in the context of time. Your time lays on top of every pursuit that you have in your life. And that's why the psalmist says this. So teach us, in Psalm 90 verse 12, teach us to number our days. Teach us, and I want you to think about that. Teach us because we struggle to understand that our days are numbered. Teach us to number our days. Why? So that we may get a heart of wisdom. The psalmist connects an understanding that all I have is this day, this moment, to what? To wisdom. To wisdom. Nothing can be well stewarded without stewarding your time well. And then let's go a little deeper into this. Stewarding my time is about stewarding significance. Stewarding my time is about stewarding significance. In other words, whatever I believe to be significant, on top of that is my calendar. And if you want to really understand what I think is significant, you need to look at the time that I give to the things that I say are significant. Now for Christians, most of the Christians that I run into, we separate our time into two categories. The first is sacred and spiritual, all right? Like, right now, you are in a sacred and spiritual time. I'm a church, man. Like, this is a big deal. This is a really significant time. And I may go home, and tomorrow, I will read my Bible, and that will be sacred and spiritual. And then I'll go to work, and that will be secular. Right? We divide our time into overtly churchy things are important, and everything else It's just kind of mundane until we can get back to the spiritual stuff. Is that what God says? Is that what God says about our time? Is that what he says about our calendar? No, in fact, God says that God has intents and purposes not just for your time at church, but for all time across all days, months, years, calendars. 
God says that the sacred time is the time that you're in, not the time that you're reading your Bible. Not the time that you're reading your Bible. In Genesis chapter 28, it says something really interesting. A guy by the name of Jacob has an interaction with God. He actually wrestles with God, and God bumps his hip out of joint, puts him to sleep, and Jacob wakes up, and he makes this statement. I want you to listen to this. He says, surely the Lord is in this place, right here, right now. And what's it say? I didn't know it. For most of us, that is a commentary on our time. The Lord was in this place, right here, right now, and I didn't know. I missed it. I I, I missed the time when God was trying to say something to me because I misunderstood the disparity between sacred time and secular time, and I failed to understand that the Bible says that there is a time and a season for everything, and that God is in every moment, in every time, wanting to speak, wanting to work, wanting relationship with me. There is nothing, then, that's mundane in your calendar. There's nothing, then, that is mundane in your calendar. The only thing that is in your calendar is your awareness of significance or God being in a place and you not knowing. Your awareness of significance or God being in a place and me not knowing. Let me prove this to you. Whenever God comes to this earth, sends his son to the earth, who does he declare that Jesus has come to? Who does he declare it to? In the Christmas story. Not a trick question. Shepherds doing what? Can you think of anything more mundane than watching sheep? I mean, sheep don't... It's not like... Sheep are prone to get into fistfights, right? Sheep don't do backflips. Sheep don't do tricks. Sheep bleat, bleep. I don't, probably not bleep because then that is like bleat. I don't know. I don't even know. Complete insignificance. And can you, I mean, you're like dozing off and then what happens? Boom, God speaks, right? Why didn't God come to somebody doing something important, something sacred? Why didn't God come to somebody reading their Bible or sitting in a church building? Because God is in every moment, and because nothing is mundane, and listen to me, whenever we think about our time, whenever we think about our time, wasted time is time that we were unaware that God was in or God was speaking. Wasted time is time that we were unaware that God was in or God was speaking. And this opens up your whole calendar for you, because if you believe that God is in anything, doing what he wants, saying what he wants, then I can be watching the game with my son, not any game, well, let's just say any game for the time being, right? I can be watching a game with my son, and that can be a sacred moment. Or I can be reading my Bible, and that can be a sacred moment. Or I can be having coffee with you, and that can be a sacred moment. When you take the lines that are man-made off, and you believe that God can be in any moment, and that the way that we define wasted time is to miss God in a moment, not doing things that aren't spiritual, changes the way that we look at time, and it should change the way that we look at celebration. It should change the way that we look at celebration. Christmas, then, is the opportunity, the opportunity to see God, to hear God, to experience God in all of the things that I'm doing as I'm going about celebrating what our culture calls Christmas. And this is the reason that I said last week that it isn't about keeping Christ in Christmas. Listen, Christ is already in Christmas. Yeah. 
He's already in Christmas. The question is whether or not I know it. The question is whether or not I understand it. The question is whether or not I, I, I receive it. That's why Ephesians 5 says this, make the best use of your time because the days are evil. Make the best use of your time because the days are evil. Listen to what the psalmist says, but I trust in you, O Lord. You are my God. My times are in your hands. My times are in your hands. And so we have this idea of not wishing for another, not wasting it away, and then thirdly, the present moment matters. Plan your priorities around legacy. Plan your priorities around legacy. A couple things that I want you to think on this. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking about money, and he gives us three things that we can invest in that do not give us an eternal legacy. The first is anything that's earthly, okay? Earthly just means anything that's temporal, anything that you can't take with you. Secondly is anything that's corruptible, anything that rots, anything that falls apart. Thirdly is anything that can be stolen, anything that can be stolen. And so legacy is not around any of those three things. You come over to Colossians chapter 3, and Paul says, set your affections on things above. Set your affection on things above. In other words, legacy is about affection. Legacy is about uh, about what you love and what you care for. And he says, set your love, set your affection on things above. Now, what are the things that are above? Four things. First is the word of God. Jesus is referred to as the word of God. And where is he right now? Seated at the right hand of the Father. Second is the throne of God. What happens at the throne of God? One thing right now. Worship. God is being worshiped. Thirdly is the person of God seated on that throne. Fourthly, what's the fourth thing? that is eternal. People. People are eternal. And so legacy, listen, is about what I love. It's about the personal work of Jesus, the worship of God, the person of God, and pointing people in your life and in your sphere of influence toward those three things. Now, whenever you're thinking about legacy, it's a weird spot to talk about being fully present and planning for legacy because legacy is in the future. So let me say it to you two ways. Um, There's a leadership principle that says, what you want replicated, celebrate. What you want replicated, celebrate. In other words, the thing that you want people to continue to do, uh, celebrate it, make a big deal out of it. Legacy, listen, isn't about worrying about the future. It's rather understanding that what you pass on is what you love. What you pass on is what you love. On the way here, I, I spoke at West, and on the way here, I asked kind of a scary question to my son. I said, honey, what do you think daddy loves? <laughs> he sat there for a second, and he, he goes, uh, well, Jesus, yes. Your family, yes. The Buckeyes, ugh. <laughs> it gets worse. Starbucks. <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, that's fair. And then the, here's the best one. And uh, he sat there for a second. He goes, and uh, Mexican food. <laughs> it's interesting because when we think about legacy, we always think about it in the context of what we do, right? My dad was a salesman for a chemical company. That's what he did. Do you think that I care about sales and chemicals? My dad loved golf. 
And that's why I watch the Masters every year, because I have every single year of my life. You pass on what you love. Now, here's the thing about what you love. You can celebrate what you love in the what? In the present. Legacy is about celebrating well, receiving all that God has for me, and being entirely present around what I love in the only thing that I have, this moment. And it's about understanding that the thing that I love and the thing that I celebrate in the time that I have is the thing that I'm going to pass on. Not what I say, not what I do, not what I talk about. That, my boy's list, is the thing that he gets from me. Let's think about this in the context then of Christmas. What do we celebrate in the Christmas season? Rebates? Sales? Fatty foods? Eggnog? Just a little. Or do I celebrate hope and peace and faith and family? Do I find significance in the present moment? And do I give my time to those things or to the things that everybody else celebrates? Remember that distinct piece? What is Christmas for most people? I, I started out this last week and I said, most people, when you say, hey man, how was your holiday? What do we do? Yeah, it's good. What'd you do? Well, I drove around a lot, went to the store, stood in lines, ate some food, watched a movie, went back to work. That's how our culture celebrates. That's not the list that I want my son to have. I want my son to say, Daddy loved the fact that God saved him. Daddy loved the fact that he had hope in the story of Jesus. Daddy celebrated well because Daddy was a man who had peace. And whenever Daddy was here, Daddy was present. Daddy wasn't thinking about work when he was with me. Daddy wasn't stressed out when he was with me. Whenever I think about Daddy and what Daddy gave me, I know what daddy loved because daddy told me because when he was with me, he was present. And that's about my time, isn't it? It's about my time. You see, this celebrate peace present thing is actually all the same thing, isn't it? It's all the same thing. In the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, the ghost takes Scrooge to look at his celebration and we see what Scrooge loves, we see what Scrooge celebrates, and we see that there's nothing celebratory and that there's no peace because he's always looking into the future. <laughs> Scrooge had to be visited by a ghost for that to be changed. My hope is that you'll be visited by the Spirit today. See what I did there? And that, <laughs> and that you'll begin to consider... What is it that I love? What is it that I love that I celebrate? Does that celebration provide stress and angst and worry, or does it provide peace? And as I'm celebrating those things, am I present? Am I, am I current? Am I fully in the moment in the belief that it's the only thing that I have so that I can celebrate well and receive all that God has for me? Is my celebration distinct does it invite, does it point people to Jesus because they see that I'm celebrating not only something different, but the way I celebrate is different. Stand with me.
couple ways that I'd like you to just think through this and pray through this and then respond. One is I just want you to spend some time thinking about if I were to look at your life and how you order your calendar, what would I see that you love? What would I see that you love? And when you think about what that provides you and what legacy that leads, leaves, are, are you happy with the picture? Are you happy with the picture? And if there's some repentance that needs to occur, the beautiful thing is that God offers us peace, not, not then, not out there, right here and right now. And so as you think through those things, would you just pray, God, would you make yourself clear to me? Would you provide me the peace that only you can? Talk to him, do business with, and then he can come up, take communion. Uh, we'll do some more singing. If you want someone to pray over you, pray with you, pray for you, there'll be folks to my left, to your right, in the back of the room. They would love to meet you. God, we thank you for Jesus. God, I thank you for the fact that you are a God who celebrates and that you're a God who gives us reason to celebrate. God, I thank you that you bring us hope, that you bring us peace, and that you allow us to understand who we are in the time that we're in. God, I pray this Christmas season that you would help us to celebrate well, celebrate distinctly, celebrate differently, to be present in the moments that we're in, to leave a legacy of significance, God, in the realization that this is all that we have and we want it to be for your glory and the joy of those around us. Would you accomplish these things, God, in your name, for your glory and for our joy, in Jesus' name.